We explain the AFL's MRP changes on the splash today. But first up, the match-fixing scandal. A scam? It's Friday the 15th of December. Yeah, welcome into the splash on this Friday. I am your host, Phil Pryor. Later on in the episode, Riley Beveridge joins us just to properly explain the AFL's match review panel changes moving forward. It's a pretty big story, uh, particularly for this time of year in the AFL. So we will get to that a little bit later. But uh, kind of as promised yesterday on the splash, uh, we should try and get to the bottom of this match-fixing scandal, which uh, took the cricketing world hostage for a brief period of time yesterday morning uh, to help us unravel this issue. We've got uh, digital lead of the Fox cricket team, Joe Barton, with us. Welcome in. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was uh, an interesting probably eight hours or so yesterday when the story kind of went a, went mm. gangbusters um, after it broke. It was was quite manic for a little while, but uh, I suppose over the past 24 hours, it's so slightly unravelled a little bit in, in many ways. It doesn't look like it is the uh, kind of deep throat moment that we, we thought it may be where it looked like it was going to blow up the ashes very briefly. But uh, yeah, the information which has kind of petered out or you know been fed out um, by the ICC and Cricket Australia in the past uh, 24 hours, which is a little bit more encouraging from, from a, a fan's perspective, um, gives gives you a little bit more hope that the game is, is cleaner than what it, se- what it seemed at uh, 9 o'clock yeah. yesterday morning. Yeah, can you provide... Just a little bit of detail as to uh, what actually happened. So the, the Sun story, um, which was kind of an undercover story where they uh, spoke to two Indian bookmakers who uh, believed that they were setting up um, a fairly large business deal and made uh, certain promises of things that they could fix um, in matches, including the uh, the third Ashes test, which started, of course, yesterday. Mm. And that was the thing which kind of pricked the ears up of, of many cricket fans, certainly a lot of cricket fans in Australia. Yeah, it uh, seems hard to believe that um, that a couple of Indian bookmakers would even uh, not have their suspicions that they were chatting to, uh, <laughs> you know, to an English journalist. Yeah, well, I mean, this, it's um, the UK tabloids are very good at uh, this sort of stuff, getting uh, yeah. the... Uh, yeah, basically going undercover and managing to um, record these highly detailed and... Uh, interesting off-the-record conversations uh, in, in certain man- manners and yep. they, they have done it very well in the past. They obviously, the News of the World uh, broke the scandal, you know, what, five or so years ago now that, um, or seven years ago now that uh, the Pakistan team was going to bowl no balls yep. Um, yep. and that, that was proven correct. That was a story that they held until after the test had been played and the uh, the no balls had been bowled mm. um, so that's why that story blew up and I think that was one of the interesting things yesterday yeah Quite why f- before the test exactly this time. people were questioning I think that was part of the initial thinking was like okay so this is possibly not um, as concrete evidence as uh, we saw in the previous instance um, because otherwise they might have held, if, if they did think that they could influence this game I think they would have held off until the end of the test whereas now they just went okay we can't. We probably can't influence this test, and we can't get the concrete evidence. So, drop the story on the eve, and that's what, how you have the biggest impact. But in in the past twenty four hours, uh, the ICC has come out and quite firmly um, made you know, fa- fairly strong denials of yeah. of what is uh, of what has been alleged. Uh, Alex Marshall's the head of the uh, ICC's anti corruption unit, and he uh, he had a long debrief with um, 
James Sutherland and the heads of the ICC and ECB. Yeah. Um, yesterday morning, kind of fairly shortly after the news broke, um, he'd been given all the information that the Sun had, uh, the video, uh, the names, etc. Um, and basically, he came to the conclusion that there was no evidence that we should be suspicious of um, any activity that could be compromising the, the the third test or the Ashes in general. Um, and yeah, they, they, they're definitely going to be uh, keeping a close eye on things and, and analysing it all very thoroughly. But at this point, it looks like the the allegations which were being made and the, the things which were uh, suggested, some of the... Uh, Quite far fetched, in my opinion. Some of the, the the exotic bets which they were claiming they could be able to fix, such as the certain amount of runs that could be made in a session, which to me is just phenomenal. If if you can do that, then I think you should be winning in every game of cricket if you're good enough to uh, <laughs> to, to manage massage mm-hmm. a score so that you can get it down to the last run. You should be you should be winning every game of cricket you play. Yeah. So Indian bookmakers um, uh, were allegedly selling details of rigged periods. Uh, is this the most common uh, way for, for this kind of thing to occur? Uh, and why would they target an Ashes? You know, normally it is uh, more sort of underground games that are happening in underground venues in the subcontinent and places like that, not necessarily cricket on the biggest stage possible. Well, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And that, that was the other thing that made this slightly less believable is that mm. ordinarily you would... Um, you'd be thinking smaller, smaller type scenarios, smaller competitions. I mean, they did mention the the Bangladesh um, uh, T20 competition and and, yeah. and the like of, of that. That's where you can kind of think maybe. Not that I'm suggesting that anything bad's happening in in the Bangladesh competition, but yeah, yeah. That, they're the ones where you think there's a lot of guys here who aren't getting paid massive amounts of money. They're the ones who may be able to be more easily influenced. Not the not the Ashes when you've got the most the most eyeballs, the in, most well-paid players. Yeah, I mean the Australian, te- the Australian team's the best played, best-paid team in the ca- in on, on the planet. England's not far behind. The Ashes is going to have more eyeballs on it than any other cricket match this week. This is the last one that you'd be trying to uh, yeah, to influence, yeah. especially if you can put big bets on any competition. The Ashes is going to be the bottom of your list, even if it's the most high-profile. That's exactly why you'd avoid it. I mean, you're not trying to rig the Melbourne Cup. You're, you're, yeah, you're looking, you're looking at uh, smaller races. So it seems like it doesn't pass the the smell test yeah, in this case. It's it's probably a massive scam. Yeah, essentially. It, I'd I'd say. I mean, I'd love to see a little bit more evidence before I'd be uh, getting particularly concerned. And that was the that was the general view of ex players that we spoke to yesterday. Um, and you know, the official view just doesn't seem right. It seems far fetched, and seems like there's basically two guys who might have. Uh, Tried to pump their tyres up a little bit too much, and you know it does it does have the the smell of a scam in, in many ways. But um, which is not to say that cricket is the cleanest sport in the world. I mean, I think we do have there is um, the, and the reason why the the story gained such traction yesterday, I think, is because there is this kind of belief that somewhere in the world there is a there is an undercurrent of perhaps nefarious behaviour, which yeah, is yeah. Uh, which could infiltrate cricket, um, and it is a sport which is dealt with. Uh, spot fixing and, and this sort of stuff in the past and there's a lot of money in Indian um, gambling. I saw figures of up to $100 billion a year um, yesterday so there's big, big money to be made and to be lost if you uh, if you can rig these events but I just don't see enough from, uh, from, from the report yesterday to suggest that this was one of those times. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. There have been cases of fixing, even on the international scale, that have been proven true in the past. Hansi Cronier, Mohamed Amir. But in conclusion, after, based on what we've just mentioned over the last five or so minutes, it seems very unlikely that this case will eventuate the way that those ones did. I, I think that's... I mean, I'd be, I'd be stunned, and it would be a bigger story than, than either yeah. of those two cases. The Mohamed Amir one, you look at it and it's... That's almost a tragic story because he was a 17-year-old um, who was strongly mm. influenced by his captain. The Pakistan players aren't particularly well paid, certainly not in, in comparison to what the Australian guys are paid. And if you've got, if you're, I mean, if you're a 17-year-old kid who gets told by your captain to do something, you're uh, you're not in the strongest position yeah. to defend yourself, and also you're probably not getting paid particularly well. And maybe it's 100 grand, which could uh, be twice your annual wage or something along mm. those lines. So. I I actually felt a bit sorry for um for Mohammed Amir when when that all went down. Not as much so for Salman Butt, uh, his skipper. Yeah. But um yeah, I think because of you know the context of the Ashes, I think this would be you know a hundred times bigger a uh, story than than that one. But I just don't think it's going to come uh, come out in in the same manner. I'd be I'd be stunned if the uh, the Australian team is 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 dirty in the same way. Joe Barton, thanks very much for joining the split, the splash. Go and watch some cricket. I will, I will. Thanks very much. <laughs> and of course, for all your Ashes cricketing updates, they're all on the foxsports.com.au website. And of course, the live scores uh, can also be reached straight off the Fox Sports app. Uh, but we'll keep moving along. I thought it was necessary to bring up the fact that the AFL have decided to scrap the MRP. I have Riley Beveridge on the line from Melbourne to discuss it uh, and to splash listeners out there. I, I apologize. We're covering some pretty uh, dry topics on the splash today, but important topics, don't you agree, Riley? Yeah, it's certainly important for, for the AFL season next year, this decision to, to scrap the MRP. It's been um, a process that's uh, sort of left a lot of fans feeling a bit offside recently. So um, mm. it was a big day yesterday when they did announce that uh, that from 2018 the MRP would be no longer. It was a, a three or four man uh, job. The panel of ex players, sorry, who were who would get together every Monday morning and go through the sanctions from the weekend, but but that is no longer. It's now a one man person, a one man group that will decide it, and that'll be uh, former Collingwood Premiership player uh, Michael Christian. So what he'll do every Monday morning now is. We'll go through all of the actions, similar to how the MRP would have done it, but but rather than uh, get a bit confused and have, have a whole heap of um, sort of dissenting voices, there will just be one voice now, and that will be Michael Christians. Yeah, so, uh, and, and we'll get to some of the other changes as well, but this is believed to um, fix up consistency, basically, yep. essentially. <laughs> Yeah, essentially. So um, the problem was there were, there were a lot of, of, as you said, inconsistencies in, in how things would get decided. And that's simply because there'd be maybe there could be two people that sat on the MRP who believed one thing, two that sat on it that believed another, and they'd go against each other to try and figure out a fair and balanced uh, penalty for a player who, who is suspended or targeted during the weekend. So now there's just one, uh, Michael Christian, you can't be, he'll be the one that'll sort of. Um, decide upon himself what what a penalty will be, and and uh, and that'll hopefully hopefully straighten out any inconsistencies next year. Yeah. So uh, first things first, suspended players uh, they can now challenge uh, an initial verdict without you know the risk of further sanction. Ultimately, if if a challenge went 
in uh, against them, the, a club would be fined ten grand. But <laughs> um, but no, none of those risks. We used the the Patrick Dangerfield example last year, where he swung around Matthew Cruiser to the ground, who suffers a concussion. He gets given the one week, and rather than challenging it and, and potentially bringing back his uh, his. Uh, chances of winning the Brownlow to life, he decided to cop the one week rather than risking a second week. So uh, so that rule has been scrapped. Yeah, so basically the, the scrapping of the MRP was one of a number of changes to, to the judiciary process for next year. Um, that's probably the, the second most significant one. Um, the fact that now a player can challenge a suspension without risking an extra week. So last year, obviously, the the, the risk was too great for Patrick Dangerfield. On one hand, he had a, a brown low to contest. On the other, he had a second-week suspension to mm. contest. So uh, he sort of um, he, he couldn't take that risk. But next year, he will he will have the option of doing that. And that will basically mean the tribunal's used more. So this will, this will see the tribunal revive a lot more. I think there was only three or four cases that went to the tribunal last year. But now we'll have, I'm assuming, almost once a week, we'll have a tribunal <laughs> sit to deliberate, which which isn't the worst thing in the world because, I mean, at least then you're getting fair and balanced um, penalties. So, um, yeah, now 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 the only risk there is um, for, for clubs or, and players who do want to challenge is it will be a $10,000 fine to the club, of the, uh, the club of the player if they do unsuccessfully challenge, mm. whereas last year if they did unsuccessfully challenge, it was the, another week onto the, onto the penalty. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. We're going to see a lot more cases go to the tribunal. Have you had a chat to the uh, the Fox footy producers down there yet in terms of them now understanding that they're, they're probably just going to need to hire someone full-time to, to cover the, the action at the tribunal every week? Yeah, exactly. I think Julian Stoop is our resident uh, tribunal um, sort of um, reported down here, so he goes every week to it. Or, well, he went about twice last year, but, but he'll be going a few times this year, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, and the Cochin rule, uh, it's also been scrapped. Talk mm-hmm. to us about this one. So Trent Cochin last year uh, obviously had that incident with Dylan Shield in the preliminary final. Um, if, taking a step back now and looking at it in hindsight, it probably wasn't worth a week's suspension, but it probably was no. worth a fine. Yeah. Um, and under last year's rules, he'd already been fined twice. And a third fine, which is for a low-level offence, um, under last year's rules equaled a one-match penalty, uh, which probably which would, which would have ruled him out of the grand final had the AFL given mm. him a fine. This year, um, they've scrapped that. The three fines for low-level offences is no longer a one-week suspension. Instead, the fine will just increase with every passing fine. So there'll be a greater number, a greater sum owed to the AFL on uh, on every every fine that you receive throughout the year, rather than the risk of a one match ban. Basically, they don't mm. want the situation where where media spotlight going into a grand final is being taken away from the game itself and being placed elsewhere, yeah. such as on a player who um who could be missing the grand final. It's also uh, it also could have haunted Nat Fife in 2015. Mm. He probably should have been fined three or four times even, but but the last couple they sort of let him off the hook simply because he was such an overwhelming favourite to win the Brownlow. So. Yeah. That was another inconsistency because they had that uh, the context of him potentially missing Brownlow hanging over their head, the MRP. So then they didn't want him to do it for, simply for a low-level offence. So this will uh, alleviate any doubt in that instance as well. Yeah, the uh, the Trent Cochin, Cochin uh, speculation kind of it kept happening as well. It felt like it, it it was it took a few days, whereas under these new rules as well, even more common sense being applied uh, overall is is that things are going to happen faster. 
Yeah, so um, last year the MRP sat every Monday. It didn't matter if an incident happened on a Thursday or a Friday night game. They'd sit down and decide it the following Monday. This year for all Thursday and Friday night games, a penalty will be put will be placed down uh, for any incidents within 24 hours of them happening. So Saturdays and Sunday games will still be deliberated upon on, on Monday morning by Michael Christian. But, uh, but but the Thursday and Friday night games will be decided within 24 hours, which will mean that in this instance uh, there won't be there won't be blokes waiting three or four days to find out what they did in a Friday night uh, is, is is punishable. I think the main example last year was Toby Green that that kick in the Western mm-hmm. Bulldogs game, uh, the high boot. I think we had about three or four days of constant speculation because it happened on a Friday night. But uh, but now we'll know what what Toby Green is penalised with within 24 hours of it happening. Yeah, and no more early guilty pleas either, um, you know, in terms of downgrading. Look, overall, it looks like a lot of common sense has been applied to these new set of rules. What is the it, what could be problematic with um, with these new changes moving forward, Riley? Uh, I think probably the most problematic thing is the fact that it's one person taking on the role. I mean, yeah. my, like I didn't like the fact that that four or five people each week were deliberating on on incidents. But but Michael Christian's got the toughest job in footy now because every time someone doesn't like a penalty or ev- any time there is a potential inconsistency in a penalty, people know who to blame. So yeah. he's taken on a very big role. Um, you'd hope he's been paid quite well for it because I tell you what, if he's not, it wouldn't be worth doing it. So, uh, all, all, all good luck to Michael Christian because I know he's, he's a good dude. Um, he knows his stuff about footy. He's on he's on the radio every day and he's a very knowledgeable man. So I'm sure he'll hopefully straighten things out. There's probably only one job uh, that's available right now where you'd be under more pressure, and that's the the Socceroos gig. So uh, yeah, yeah, he's or the uh, Collingwood coach. He's certainly going to have it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's a that's not a bad call either. Uh, yeah, Riley, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, filling us all in with all of that. No worries, mate. Thanks, Phil. And that'll do us on the splash for the second last week before uh, a little spell where we head into the, the new year, 2018. Uh, but there really has been uh, plenty on our plates this week, despite everything seeming to be winding down in the build-up to Christmas. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, of course, we'll have all your cricket updates uh, and, and Socceroos coaching updates uh, continuously uh, through the weekend and into next week. Uh, as usual, head to the foxsports.com.au website. Everyone enjoy your weekend. Uh, let's hope the Aussies can fight their way back in this third Ashes test in Perth. Uh, and until next time on The Splash, that's a wrap. 